All right, guys, welcome back to the Gerda Podcast. I'm your curator and host, Charlie Ungemach. If you've noticed that there have been a little fewer uh, podcast posts the last couple weeks, uh, you are correct. Uh, we're going to get back on the train here. Things got a little bit busy, got a little behind, and so we just making sure we're putting out the best possible content for you. You don't want to put any out, anything out there that's subpar, so be patient with us as we kind of transition here. But uh, today, oh, super excited to have Mark Palschen on again. He's going to talk about... Lifelong learning. He's a man, a very, very learned man with lots of degrees. And he's going to talk a little bit about uh, earning those degrees and lifelong learning and reading and reading and reading. So this one's going to be called A Wall Full of Books, and you're going to understand why in a little bit. Uh, but make sure you keep tuning in. Make sure you're sharing this with your friends and family. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Gird Up Podcast with guest Mark Paustian. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Jungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. So you have done a ton of, um, well, just your own writing and research, but you've also done a ton of add-on degrees, if that's the right way to say it. Continuing education. I suppose. Uh, yeah, like you, you, more than a lot of people do. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I just, I want to speak to that a little bit and, and uh, like what, what, what's the drive there? Like why, why? <laughs> like I, 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 I yeah. <coughs> what keeps you, what keeps you going? Like what's the, there's obviously a thirst for knowledge there and, and uh, you, well, you wouldn't keep going back to school and keep learning and keep writing if there wasn't something there. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Sure, I guess. I um, <clears throat> I grew up uh, uh, in a parsonage. My dad was a pastor, and he had a wall full of books, just like we have surrounding us here in my yeah. office, just yeah. walls of books. And I think that image of a man with a book while the house is asleep and steaming coffee at his side and so on, is just a powerful one to me. I, I C.S. Lewis talks about the um, how a person, how a man, in his context, he said how a man impoverishes himself when he unnecessarily impoverishes himself when he confines himself to his own narrow thinking, and he doesn't doesn't know the experience of reading a profound book and spending that twenty hours in the thought of another person who is ahead of us that's so to speak on the path you know he said we we need to see with other eyes you know than just our own and he says i never transcend myself or more myself than when i do so i to me it's um just what a poor man i'd be without just uh, a set of writers that comes to my mind and so i think in particular i wasn't a great student so i i, I think i discovered this mostly as a pastor in a parish that they need to stand up and have something to say to people and have it be not stale but fresh you know my my dad would say 
you can tell a pastor from one who reads, from one who doesn't read, just by just by the freshness of their thoughts and expressions, by their love for words, by a whole set of things. And so my my drive, I think, for lifelong learning is really mostly rooted now in the demands of of what people are expecting me to be able to talk about or help them with, so to speak. Okay. So if I'm reading apologetics, it's because I've got, you know, 40 young men that expect I should know something about yeah, apologetics. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reading everything I can right now about worship because I've been asked to write a book of devotions to come out with a new hymnal eventually about worship. So it's largely driven by that as mm-hmm. well. I mean, the particular um, shape of my calling that just, drives me to know just really to know what i need to know about yeah. um communication apologetics preaching worship that's those are my current things so yeah and you actually did <laughs> you just you're helping me discover things about myself too because like, as soon as you said that i thought do i do that it's like yeah oh, i mean i just i mean i read on the way up here i listened to uh, ryan mickler's new book sovereignty um, I can't remember what the subtitle is, but it's essentially reclaiming mm-hmm. masculinity in, in American society. Um, and then, like right now, I'm reading The Sea Wolf by Jack London, which is just one long commentary on a soft man mm-hmm. learning to grow and become a man. Um, and then, like before that, I read the first of the, I'm reading through the Lord of the Rings books. you got to take a break between them. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but Lord of the Rings, which definitely. is all just themes of man. You look at the hobbits and how they've changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll get the complex, like Aragorn and, and Gandalf. You look at these complex creatures, these complex men. And even like the relationship between the elves and the dwarves, like feuding, like they don't even know why. Like that's, he's, it's a commentary on like the modern inner city gang is mm-hmm. what it is. Like we have no beef with each other besides that we have a beef with each other you know like there's, there's nothing else to fight <laughs> yeah. about besides well, what, the fact that we fight sure what good literature can yeah can express as i said before this robust understanding of what of the human experience it's unparalleled and but i've also discovered in the last 10 years or so um autobiographies too yeah so someone that you admire whether it's bonhoeffer or c.s lewis or i'm reading hamilton right now um, okay yeah and i've got washington on my stack <laughs> So it's something about a biography that takes you inside a single human experience and in particular yeah. of a man and how that man ticked and what the weaknesses were as yeah. well. I mean, so yeah, I, I, you know, a person has eight books open on the book stand by his bed and yeah. whatever you're in the mood for, you grab the one, yep. you know, and so, yeah. Cool. Any favorite uh, biographies or autobiographies? Uh, favorite biography... <clears throat> Or one that gripped you or that you just like, you finished and you went, whoa. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm not going to think of the writer and title now. I had the experience of spending 10 days in Oxford a couple years ago as part of my doctoral work. Okay. And so we would, in the morning, discuss C.S. Lewis with a bunch of nerds. Okay, yeah. And then go out and visit some place like where he, where he preached his weight of glory sermon, you know. And, yeah. And um, there are some really very excellent biographies of C.S. Lewis. Um, and his own memoirs are quite profound, too. Yeah, they are. They um, are. So uh, Bonhoeffer is written by, a biography written by Metaxas, who I think prob- probably oversimplifies Dietrich Bonhoeffer and probably fawns over him a little bit. Bonhoeffer is a very complex 
person to wrap your mind around as far as his theology. And yeah. this writer just kind of glosses over some of the challenges of him, but still, yeah. still uh, a wonderful read. So. Yeah. It's the kind of guy you want to write your autobiography, fawning over I you suppose. a little bit, like I he suppose. really is in love with you. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So when you were at Oxford, did you did you work mostly just with uh, C.S. Lewis and his works, or did like so the Inklings to me are just right. fascinating. Did you? So if you don't know anything about the, you might not might might know more about the Inklings than me. Are you familiar with the Inklings? Oh sure, got to sit in the, the yeah. pub where they would sit and talk. So and so it was C.S. Lewis and. Um, yeah, J.R. Tolkien. Tolkien, Charles Williams. I think uh, they had one female member after a while. I think that was Dorothy Sayers. Yeah. And so they would meet and they would read to each other at a pub called The Eagle and the Child or called The Bird and the Baby. And uh, it's funny, so C.S. Lewis reads the first draft of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe to to Tolkien who hated everything about it. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tolkien just thought this is just too obvious of an allegory. Um, and that's a whole other story. It's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating what C.S. Lewis actually was doing with his Chronicles of Narnia. It's really interesting, but that's probably another podcast. <laughs> Tolkien, <laughs> yeah, a fascinating podcast to have. Though. Tolkien missed it, and and Lewis didn't tell him that's what, the, awesome. what the secret was. So that's anyway. awesome. But cool. yeah, I got to sit there with my advisor in the same, I don't know if the same booth or not, but in the same pub, and my advisor was a former Pentecostal minister, and but a wonderful communication scholar, and we sat there and discussed Kierkegaard and Luther and Karl Barth in yeah. that same quiet pub. So Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Uh so you you kinda spoke to what uh what guides your selection as far as what you study and, and when. Um uh, is there anything that you like I obviously communication is something you're very passionate about. Is there anything specifically you just keep coming back to over and over again? Well, um, like if I can rephrase the question, like something that like just lights your fire, like I just everything you can get your hands on. Well, right right now, probably what's highest on my list is Christian apologetics. Um, And I think that in our own circles, we're really a lot of people trying to grapple with what is the what is the solid conservative Lutheran voice in that milieu of apologetics which is of course how do we meet the world at the various sites of struggle where the world is questioning our devotion to christ does it make any sense so um it's how to have that conversation and i think um it's such a wide open field and it's sort of fraught with some difficulty so what is the proper role of reason and evidence in arguing for the faith Um, what I've kind of concluded, guided by other people I've talked to, is that if I'm speaking the way the apostles speak, then I'm good to go, you know. So the apostles will speak about that what Jesus did, it didn't happen in a corner, you know, and there were witnesses, and and they can can talk in those ways about the aspect of Christ's life in this world, life, death, resurrection, that are subject to investigation that you can go looking at all day long if you want to. But then there's also the part, the the essence that only God can reveal by his Holy Spirit, that when Christ died and rose for us, this was, this was God himself reconciling the entire world to himself. So that's only available by faith through the word of God, by the Holy Spirit. 
but so I'm just kind of describing the the need to learn how to talk really carefully in a disciplined way about so what is the role of evidence and reason and what is the role that you know is behind the plush velvet cords of God's word only the spirit can do and I've concluded that and I'm not the only one people have gotten here first but if there are three issues one is the resurrection of Jesus is just I would like to think any Christian person any Christian young man would have on his short list of capabilities to have as a Christian the ability to talk about Christ is really alive and to speak about that in all kinds of ways, including historically. And secondly is is the authenticity of the New Testament. We should all learn how to talk about the phenomenon of the New Testament so that no one can knock the weapon out of our hands. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal set of documents um, written by men who were convinced they'd seen Jesus die and rise and happy to give their lives for this. And so, and the third thing would be kind of a distance third to third to Christ being truly raised and the New Testament being a phenomenal book in its own right. The third thing would just be the necessity of God. If morality or meaning or wonder, a whole list of things, have any validity, have any objectivity, it's because God is necessary to those things, necessary to morality, meaning, yeah. wonder, hope, love, and so the awe that we feel before a night sky, we're not wrong about that. And the, the guilt that we feel, we all feel looking at our lives. We're not wrong about that. <laughs> and that, that the reality of yeah. God explains our experience in countless ways. But again, as I say, maybe a, th a distant third to the first two foundational questions is Christ being raised and the Gospels and the Epistles being nothing to sneeze at. A an yeah. intellectually honest person should have an opinion about what's going on um, yeah. in, in those realms. So that's just, again, me. My current, my, current, my current responsibility is to learn how to join that conversation and then guide young men at our college and how to have that conversation and steer around some of the, some of the mistakes, frankly. Yeah. Um, a wrong view of reason that sort of um, fails to come to terms with why we believe. I mean, the reason you and I believe is because God has chosen us and he's shown the light of his gospel into the darkness of our hearts. Probably you and I at our baptism. And so we want to stay really grounded in, in that theology as we carefully take up the issue of evidence and reason. And yeah. So that's, you asked the question, what is that? What am I kind of most passionately digging into right now today yeah it'd probably be that along with the worship piece too well and, and um to that like you you have to really really know what you believe okay, and be able to break it down clearly in order to not to make the theology your own but to like when you adopt then as this is what i believe this is what i firmly and squarely believe then you can go about that conversation in a way that suits your own personality and your own, mm -hmm. your own style, if that makes sense, without sacrificing the actual um, doctrine of it. If well, that makes definitely. sense. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it, it's about being. It's about being serenely confident. Yeah. Serenely confident in the reality of Christ, apart from reason and evidence. You know, just 
the apostles and their word has just utterly convinced me and and you and I are men who are captivated by the cross we just are convinced um and so there's a serene confidence that not only is able to look at the evidence and sift it carefully um but isn't going to panic at some counter evidence yeah. you know um or a question you might bring to me as a skeptic that I don't happen to have an answer to in the moment this just doesn't panic me and i i think the answer is going to be there i've I've learned this by now it's going to be there (laughs) and so it's also then the source of being able to treat another person decently in the conversation and non-defensively and um so i yeah it comes back to a serene confidence that lets me well, let me, for example, not have what someone has called a performative contradiction, which is to talk to someone about the love of Christ and the love of God while they feel no love for me. Right. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a performative contradiction. How can you speak about this love of God and you don't feel love from me? And so I think it's that sort of confidence rooted in God's word, not rooted in myself, you know, not rooted in my ability to argue. Yeah. And the apostles don't do that. They don't ground it in themselves. They, when they're weak, they're strong. Yeah. And so, the the spokesperson has to be weak in a way that the power of Christ and His own Word rests upon them. Yeah. So there's a the, what I'm convinced of is uh, there's there's a there's a uniquely Lutheran way of taking up the conversation that that means in the whole world of apologetics, which has been you know going on for decades. Um, in a pretty serious way, we really have something to say, um, something fresh and unique. And so it's it's uh, pretty exciting to be studying that yeah. and part of just learning how to teach it as well. Uh, do you have like a routine or like a, a system, like when you decide, uh, like, I want to study so-and-so, yeah, especially if it's something you've never really dove into before or delved into before? Do you have like a way of going about it, a specific way of going about it, or do you just jump in, grab a book and jump in? I grab like, a book and jump in. Right, there's, awesome. there's no, there's no method. Um, so th- I mean, you know, things grab your eye. Things grab your eye as far as um, what scholars are doing and so on. And for example, um, just another kind of tangent is the question of what technology is really doing to us <laughs> it's a whole nother thing and you wait into that world it's gonna it's gonna be a rabbit hole yeah <laughs> there's a there's a writer named sherry turkle who has written a couple of wonderful books one is called reclaiming conversation another one is called alone together a very ironic title uh, i think the subtitle of that one is why we expect more from technology and less from each other mm-hmm. and um what her what her second book, Reclaiming Conversation, I mean, she's a marvelous researcher who's done her homework. And she uh, she quotes studies that will, um, I'm reaching for the words here, <laughs> that deal with the erosion of certain capabilities, especially among younger people, the erosion of empathy, um, the erosion of perspective-taking skills. These things are just falling off a cliff just in the last couple of decades and to a, just a truly alarming rate. I, don't, I won't quote the stats because I'll get them wrong, but 
Um, so the ability to step inside somebody else's shoes, the ability to feel with them is what's being lost. And it seems to be something to do with children who are now growing up with, you know, iPhones spending less and less time looking into the faces of other people, especially the faces of their moms, uh, learning how to read what's in there, in that other face, you know, having the, the mirror neurons trained, you know, mm -hmm. to, so to speak, to truly empathize. And um, Sherry Turkle, I mean, she's not, uh, she tends to lean kind of negative on technology. You know, any scholar you read will, begin some different place in that continuum is technology the devil or is it our savior and mm -hmm. it's just you know we always get those two reactions to every communication revolution that comes along but i think she's in a sensible place and she advocates three things just three disciplines that are how we push back and how we don't lose these capabilities that are so human mm -hmm. and um one of them we've talked about is simply to read books. So yeah. even though text itself is also artificial as a technology, it does it does make things possible that are poignantly human. And so I'm on the soapbox for reading books and surrounding yeah. our kids with books and living, yeah. growing up in that world. Like I said, the man with the book, the my dad's wall of books. Well, this is yeah. a huge thing that we, uh, Turkle would say, a tolerance for the boring bits, a tolerance for things that are not exciting but that are deepening. Yeah. Um, and the second thing goes hand in hand with that is solitude, that we would still mm. nurture the ability to be by ourselves, disconnected. Her way of saying this is that we develop a sense of self in solitude. Um, I have more in my head the picture of unhurried time with Christ and hurried time with his word open and prayer and communing with him by his word. So reading books, nurturing the art of solitude, and three, it's quite obvious, it's it's um, nurturing face-to-face, -face, disconnected time in the company of other people uh, where we're improvising our communication, where we're in real time responding to each other looking to each other's faces mm -hmm. again tolerance for the boring bits if this isn't always exciting that we don't allow ourselves to turn to the distraction without letting those moments deepen mm -hmm. so um but the original question was i mean where does my where do my interests come from that's just an example you you uh, stumble upon a writer like that who's put her finger on a very very timely and crucial issue and yeah, so it's very haphazard to answer your questions. Very, yeah. very much unplanned. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and to go into what you were kind of talking about, I think one of the best things that ever happened to me was when I had I had to move out of out of an apartment before my lease was up. I ended up with a really weird lease schedule in on my own in a one bedroom apartment, just by myself. Mm -hmm. After I had had roommates for a while, and just like having to come home every day and face who I am, like I had like I. Just, I had become a boring person. Like I came home, <laughs> sat down on a couch. I didn't have internet. I didn't have TV. I was intentional about that. Didn't have internet. Didn't have TV, but had a wall full of books. Yeah. It's like where? Let's get to work. I think I, I left. I had never like moving out of dorm rooms, going off to college. I mean, we moved a couple times when I was a kid. Moved. To, I mean, I've never lived in 
since I got to college, I've never lived in the same place for more than a year. Because I, if you count dorm rooms, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I have never been more emotional and more like just thankful than when I packed up that apartment and moved out and moved to where I am now. Just so incredibly thankful for the exactly. journey the Lord took took me on and just self-discovery. I am too. And I the fear is that there are a lot of people that don't know what you mean by that. You know, just a lot of people that have, you know, if media is going to just bombard a young person with countless versions of self that they can find one that fits and try them all on and they're all false, you know, um, that there is something about shutting all that out and having not only books, but an open Bible. Yeah. Um, there's something you cannot do apart from solitude. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, are there, so what I've got my own list and we can talk about that in a second, but I want to hear from you. Uh, what do you think, is there anything that like you would say every guy ought to study or books that you think every man should read? If you don't, or most men, maybe it would be better to say it, but you know, like just like, or even just subjects of study that every man will benefit from studying these things. Obviously scripture, but yeah, um, not that, not yeah, that, not that I'm trying to brush that under the rug. Like <laughs> no, that, no, that's not at all. obvious. The obvious number one, and has come out in this conversation a lot too. There yeah. is no book that will ever be more instrumental in, in your shaping and molding yourself. There's a conversation. Are you familiar with Father Edwin Leahy at all? I'm. So if you saw sure. on the news, he's the guy that made that holy hook shot the other day. He was on like Fox and Friends. Anyway, Missed he's it. he's the uh, the monk who runs um, the. St. Benedict's Preparatory School in Newark, New oh, Jersey. Okay, he's a yeah. fascinating man. I've had the pr- privilege of meeting him a couple of times, but one time uh, we were like having a kind of a sit down talk with him, and somebody asked him, "And hey, what books do you read? Like, where does all your wisdom come from?" He looks at him like they were crazy and goes, "The Bible." Next question. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. just like mic, we're not talking about drop. this. The Bible. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think there's something I, there's something to linger over on that, and not. Everything else is secondary. Yeah, it's truly secondary. I think about the people that have enriched me the most. You know, starting with Luther, but there are others. Um, they really did inhabit the biblical world. They really did let that world be the world, the real world of the Bible, the one that shapes their whole imagination and yeah. shapes their thinking. And you can hear it by how they talk. Be just the illusions that come out of Luther's pen, one one after another. This is this is a world he lived in, and so, um, yeah, what better? I mean, the Bible, the Word of God is the means of grace. It is the tool the Holy Spirit uses. And, and you know, we learn, I think, God willing to, to embrace His agenda and not our own agenda, you know. Our own agenda might be to grow in certain ways. His agenda is that we learn how to grow up into Christ our head and then glorify God. It's it's sort of like wanting something more than we want to be a man. <laughs> what I yeah. want more, what, what overcomes that is the desire, as we said, expressed by Paul, I want to know Christ and somehow to glorify him with my life. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's not an obligatory thing to say, well, of course the Bible is first on, on our list. I mean, to inhabit the Gospels, to... Yeah. to to know Christ in the way he's made himself available. 
um, in the Gospels, a single chapter. I preached on John 6 recently for Morning Chapel, and oh my goodness, there's just so much going on, a single dialogue of Christ. You can get lost in that. and The words are simple, but they're oceans. You know, they're just oceans deep. And so I also t- tend to think, you know, I read a lot as well. I read widely. Um, and I'm not uh, not afraid to read things that are provocative by any means and that will challenge my thinking. For me personally, there's also something then about kind of coming home to, um, for me, you know, for you, Lutheran mm-hmm. theology, yeah. coming home to a writer I can really entrust myself to. Um, I have a, I'm, I'm suspicious of myself in the way that my mind can be taken down a path by this or that um, trendy author. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about interspersing my reading with things that are solid that I can really, as I say, entrust myself to. Um, so I, I don't know what, yeah, what would I say any person should study? I don't know. I, I guess I advocate for being widely read mm-hmm. rather than being able yeah. to, you know, pigeonhole that one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. I'm gonna put a podcast out soon of like my top five and why. Okay. And uh but like like you said, you know, it's scripture every day and then I'll grab just about anything off the shelf. I have a whole bunch of just like used old books. Some of them from the old Northwestern Route Library. You look at some of the names of people mm-hmm. that checked them out and read them. <laughs> I've got the collected works of Rudyard Kipling and it's got like three Wells presidents on there, like on the card, the library card in the back. It's got a couple of professors that I had in sure. college on there. Yeah. Just like, it's it's a little Wells bubble thing, but it's so cool. <laughs> like the, these men also found value in this book, checked it out and used it. Mm-hmm. And there's like notations in there. You think like, so first of all, who wrote this note? And uh, like just the, how cool it is that we, that we're both just, fascinated by yeah. by this critique of masculinity or this critique of you know of war or of empire or whatever mm-hmm. it is yeah cool yep i'm there very cool thanks for listening to the gird up podcast if you like what you're hearing you can find more episodes like this on soundcloud spotify itunes the podcast app and pippa if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U N G E M A C H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four and five star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Pommeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.